Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit TherapyNotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes by just using the promo code CEU when you sign up for a free trial at TherapyNotes.com. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to today's presentation on cognitive behavioral tools and life hacks to cope with public health threats. I'm your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. In this presentation, we're going to identify why controlling stress and anxiety is important. I mean, we really don't want people in the public to be struggling with um, stress and anxiety, but it is even more important in the face of public health threats, and you're going to learn why. We're going to describe cognitive behavioral tools and life hacks to address stress and anxiety during viral and public health outbreaks. We'll identify reliable resources to acquire accurate information about public health threats and identify practical steps clinicians can encourage mainstream media to take to reduce the negative impact of the situation on the mental health of the general public. And yes, I'm going to get on my soapbox about fear-mongering several times in today's presentation, but it is so important because the mainstream media has such a significant impact on the general public, they can either enhance mental health or create mental illness. Stress and anxiety cause the body's threat response system, or your HPA axis, to be activated. And we've talked about that in a multitude of other videos. The HPA axis is there for a reason. It triggers that fight, flee, freeze, or forget about it mentality in a person. Generally, we think of it as fight or flee. So we'll stick with those two. Fight is your anger. Flee is your anxiety. And in the case of a public health outbreak, a lot of times there is a little bit of anger and frustration at um, public health organizations that maybe aren't giving us the information that we want or a little anger at the situation. But a lot of times the more prevalent feeling is anxiety. Either way, whether it's anger or anxiety, when that HPA axis or that threat response system is activated, it can cause problems. Now, in the short term, like if you get cut off in traffic, your HPA axis is helpful because it tells you, oh my gosh, you know, you got cut off. 
you need to do something. You need to protect yourself and you need to be more alert about what's going on because this driver that just cut you off isn't paying attention. All right. So that's a short-term couple of minutes sort of thing. But if your HPA axis, your threat response system, stays activated for days or even weeks, which happens to a lot of people because we have anxiety, we have chronic stress, and then something like this happens and we have additional anxiety and chronic stress. Continued activation of that threat response system impairs sleep. When your body thinks there's a threat, when your brain thinks there's a threat, guess what? Your brain says now is not the time to get that deep restorative sleep because you need to be able to go at a moment's notice. When we have impaired sleep, we don't clear out all of the adenosine in our brain at the end of every day. So when we wake up, we still feel foggy-headed and kind of, you know, out of it. We may have difficulty concentrating the rest of the day. Adenosine is what builds up. It's a byproduct of thinking, if you want to think about it that way. And if that's not cleared out every night, it contributes to difficulty concentrating. So impaired sleep contributes to difficulty concentrating. Impaired sleep is also a trigger for activation of that threat response system and increased cortisol and increased stress hormones. Okay, well, what else happens when that threat response system is activated and continues to be activated? Weight changes. Some people won't have an appetite and they'll lose weight and they won't be getting the nutrients they need to keep their body healthy and their immune system strong. Other people will eat more than they need to because they're bored, because they're stressed out, because they're trying to get that feeling of, you know, escape, if you will. They may be gravitating toward high-fat, high-sugar foods. People also may experience fatigue. Okay, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not getting quality sleep, yeah, you're probably going to be tired. You're probably or often going to be self-medicating that fatigue that because of the lack of sleep with caffeine, which guess what? Turns up that threat response system, turns up those stress hormones even more, so you're ramping up that HPA axis even more. You're also causing your body, when you do that, to be running hotter. It's like driving and really flooring it, having, you know, maybe driving in third gear on the, on the interstate, you are going to be running really hot. And that uses a lot of energy, which can also contribute to fatigue. On top of all this, when your threat response system is activated, you have reduced immunity. Your body says now is not the time to worry about fighting off little illnesses and stuff right here. We need to use all of our energy to fight or flee. Studies in you can go in PubMed, you can go on a variety of different websites and find that stress is directly related to reduced immunity. If you are feeling stressed because of a public health crisis, because of a public health outbreak, what is the one thing that you don't want? That's reduced immunity. In order to help your body maintain that immune system, you have to be getting quality sleep. You have, because that helps regulate that HPA axis, you have to be eating nutritious foods so your body has the building blocks to support your mood as well as your immune system. And you have to control for your stress and anxiety, downregulate 
that HPA axis. So you are not causing your body to divert energy from your immune system. People may also be irritable. Well, when I'm not getting enough sleep and I'm having difficulty concentrating and I'm tired and maybe using too much caffeine, yeah, I'm probably going to be irritable. And in children, that may come out as behavioral issues. This is not where we want to be. This is not how we want to feel. And it makes it more difficult to deal with life on life's terms if we are irritable. Another side effect of activated HPA axis is reduced libido. If it's time to fight or flee, it's not time to procreate, which means, you know, some of those things that we normally do that help us feel connected, that help us feel happy, that help us feel good, we're just not motivated to do right now. And that can also, in addition to monkeying with our hormones and how we feel, it can also impact our relationships, which are some of our greatest buffers against stress. Put all this together, you have an increased risk for symptoms of anxiety and depression, symptoms of worry, apathy, guilt, um, uncertainty, hopelessness, helplessness. All of these feelings can come out. In preventing some of these things, we need to figure out ways that we can feel hopeful, we can feel empowered, and we can find some level of happiness in what's going on. The public health crisis is probably not going to bring us happiness, but there are other things in our life, like our family, like our job, like our garden, whatever it is for you, that is probably unaffected or not super affected by the public health crisis, and it's still bringing you happiness. It's important to notice that there are still things in your life that are going okay. Interpersonally, stress and anxiety increases distrust, suspicion, and social isolation and social distancing. Not wanting to be near people who might have been exposed. Not wanting to be near people who might be contagious. Not wanting to be in public areas that we have to go to, like school or work, because we're so stressed about getting sick that when we are there, we are just not pleasant to be around. This negatively impacts not only our day-to-day -day life, it increases our HPA axis activation, and it also reduces interpersonal support. If we are constantly pushing people away figuratively and, you know, physically and emotionally, we may not be um, able to access some of the support resources we need. If we are the target of being distanced, it may impact our self-esteem and our sense of safety. They find in public health crises, people who are thought to have been exposed are generally ostracized and may even face uh, the risk of violence from other people. Uh, we want to make sure that this doesn't happen. We want to educate the public about and educate ourselves about how whatever is going on is being transmitted, how to stay safe, and encourage people not to overgeneralize and to do what they can to reach out. Even someone who's been exposed to whatever the contagion is, you may not want to be, you know, hugging on them, but you can still reach out to them through social media. You can still call them. You want to make sure that they, even if they are in quarantine, you want to make sure that they still, still feel connected. How can we deal with this anxiety? I have laid out the reasons why we want to control for it, but what can we do for it? What can we do to control for it? Number one, 
Use fact-based reasoning. Just because you are freaked out does not necessarily mean there is any reason to be freaked out. You may have read some of those fear-mongering headlines, which give you part of the story. They give you the part that is going to motivate you to read the story because you're like, oh my gosh. All right. You know, take those with a grain of salt. Get the facts for and against what's going on. If you read a headline that says, you know, the sky is falling, okay, maybe I'm going to read the story to see why they're saying the sky is falling, but I also want to look for facts that the sky is not falling. What's the other half of the story that they may not be telling me? It's important to get those facts in order to support uh, your beliefs and have accurate information. When you're using fact-based reasoning, some of the facts that you want to look for who does this impact? A lot of things like the flu impact very young children, people who are immunocompromised, and the elderly, okay? So if you're not in one of those three groups, then you stand a much greater chance of not being directly impacted by the contagion. Figure out who's compromised and go to websites like the CDC or the World Health Organization. Those are the two best ones to go to, to find out what from the horse's mouth, who's at risk, what can we do to protect ourselves, and what can I expect from this particular contagion, should I contract it or should someone I love contract it? So look at who does this impact. Also, find the facts about how much will it really impact me. Will I have to take time off from work? What is the likelihood, what is the probability that I'm going to have to take time off from work? What is the probability that it's going to prevent me from my usual activities like going shopping and going to the gym and doing laundry and spending time with my kids and going to work? There are a lot of companies, thankfully, with the internet that have allowed people to start working from home so they don't have to take time off from work. They may have to do their work a little bit differently, but there are emergency protocols in place when things like this happen, you know, when there's a hurricane, when there's a blizzard, when there's a public health contagion and people can't get into the office. So a lot of people may not be, have their life as disrupted as they're expecting. Will it prevent me from fulfilling my basic needs? Will I be able to get food, medication? Will my electricity go off? Will I, you know, have difficulty keeping my housing? You know, Housing is a long-term thing. If you are, you know, heaven forbid, the public health situation progresses to where you need to be out of work and the entire city is on quarantine for a month, you know, that could really hurt some people's pocketbooks and make it difficult to pay their mortgage, pay their rent, pay their electricity. If there are supply chain disruptions and a power transformer goes out, you know, could it potentially maybe disrupt electricity? Well, yes, any of those things are possible, but are they probable? Are they probable? In the case of housing and uh, that sort of thing, there are generally programs that can help pay utilities, pay rent, pay mortgages, and a lot of uh, rental companies and mortgage places will work with people if they experience a hardship as a result of a natural disaster. And a public health crisis really is considered a natural disaster. So before getting all caught up in catastrophizing and thinking, you know, I'm going to be 
homeless and this and that. Look at the facts and look at the probability that the worst possible scenario is going to happen. It is probably pretty minuscule. Also, look at what resources may exist in this current public health crisis with coronavirus. Um, They just recently, I think today or yesterday, announced that they're contemplating, you know, they haven't passed it yet, but they're contemplating payroll tax cuts that will provide very substantial relief as well as ways to help hourly wage workers who cannot get paid when they stay home sick so they don't get penalized for something that's not their fault. Those are really important things that in the United States, our government does a good job of trying to reach out and and help people when things happen that are beyond their control. Other facts we want to look at. How many people have the contagion that have not been tested and they completely recovered on their own? They're expecting and they suspect even with the flu that tens of thousands of people may get a particular condition and not be sick enough to feel like they even need to go to the doctor and get tested. So our numbers on mortality are only based on those people who were sick enough to go to the doctor or who chose to go to the doctor and get tested. Another fact that you can look for, and this is where, again, you can go to the CDC or the WHO website, what practical steps can you take to protect yourself? With most public health issues, hand washing, you know, don't swap bodily fluids in certain circumstances. You know, there are a lot of um, practical steps that people can take. There are practical steps that you can encourage your children to take. When you sneeze, sneeze into your the crook of your elbow. Um, don't be touching your hands and fa- um, your, your face with your hands. If, and this is a big one right now, um, that I think it's important to educate the public about so they don't get freaked out. If the government, you know, your local government declares a state of emergency, if the national government declares a state of emergency, what does that actually mean? In most cases, it is a step that has to be taken in order to make available federal funding to assist people, for example, the hourly wage workers. Declaring a state of an emergency or a disaster situation often is merely a formality in order to get money from the federal government. It doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, we're going into quarantine or this is worse than we thought. Really look at the facts. What are they telling you? If they declare a state of emergency and don't put the town under quarantine, you know, that tells you something. That tells you that the state of emergency had more to do with money than it did with danger. Don't confuse possibility and probability. There is a possibility that a meteor could strike today. You know, there's always a possibility of things happening. What is the probability that it's going to happen? There's the possibility I could win the lottery tonight, but what is the probability of that happening? Pretty daggum slim. Remind yourself when you start having you know, stressful thoughts, anxiety-laden thoughts. Ask yourself, what is the probability that this is going to happen and be the worst-case scenario? For example, in 2019, 2020, the current year that we're in right now, so far in the flu season, there have been 34 million cases of the flu, 350,000 hospitalizations, and 20,000 deaths attributable to the flu. 
the same flu that comes around every year that most people don't freak out about one little iota. They're just like, eh, get my flu shot, you know, whatever. They don't alter their daily patterns. They don't get freaked out about it. The stock market doesn't go all wonky. It's the flu. It's something we expect. With new things that happen, novel public health issues, there's more uncertainty, which causes anxiety to go up because we don't have the answers. We don't know if it's going to go away when the weather gets warm. In the case of the current situation with the coronavirus, the mortality rate of people who have been tested for uh, the coronavirus ranges from 0.2% in 10 to 39-year-olds to 3.6% in the elderly that is a wide range and a lot of the deaths unfortunately that we're seeing right now in the united states which makes it seem so much more scary um, are coming from long-term care facilities where people were living who already had underlying physical health conditions so they are not only contracting the the, the disease the, the virus but they are also dying at a much higher rate because they had underlying issues. Yet another reason that if you can address any underlying physical issues, take good care of yourself, bolster that immune system so it is there and it is fully charged to fight off any viruses that come your way, including the flu. We have the flu going on right now. Nobody said boo about the flu in the past three months and we are in the peak of flu season as i as i stated earlier 34 million cases of the flu have been identified and that doesn't even include the people who haven't bothered to go to the doctor to get tested we need to remember this we need to remember that we face a very virulent pathogen every single year and how do we how does it affect us most of us don't get totally freaked out practice mindful acceptance this is a huge step in helping deal with anxiety if you start fighting with your anxiety telling yourself you shouldn't feel that way trying to ignore the anxiety you're going to make yourself feel worse notice how you feel without judgment remember that anxiety is your body's way of saying there might be a threat Kind of like when your smoke alarm goes off. It says there might be a fire. Might not be. Anxiety says there might be a threat. There might not be. Okay, so we don't want to assume that just because we feel anxious means there's something to be afraid of. That's the first thing. We notice how we feel without judgment. We say, okay, I feel anxious. And then identify the options for dealing with the situation. What are you going to do with it? And sometimes this means tolerating uncertainty. With the flu, we have a lot more certainty because we've seen it for years and years and years. For novel coronaviruses um, and, and novel public health threats, we don't have a lot of the answers. So sometimes we have to tolerate that uncertainty. Choose an option to help you improve your next moment. Once you look at all the options for dealing with the situation, you know, I can get upset, I can flood myself with information, some good, some bad, some, you know, fear-mongering, whatever. I can turn off the news and go do something with my kids. You know, there are a lot of options. What is it that you're going to do? Choose the option that helps you get closer to your goals. Choose the option that let, allows you, given the current situation, to live the most, the happiest, most rich and meaningful life you can in the moment. 
instead of continuing to feed the anxiety. If you feed that anxiety monster, he's more than happy to gobble up anything you give him and grow. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to feed that anxiety monster. Options that you can use to improve the next moment. Engage in meaningful activities instead of channel surfing to find more of the same information that's causing your distress. I know I get caught doing that sometimes. I want an answer to something. And I will start reading news articles. And if one news article doesn't have it, I'll search for another one. And before I know it, I've been reading the news for an hour and a half, still not finding the answer to my question. Was that a good use of my energy? And the answer is no, it really wasn't. So it's important to recognize how are we using our energy and is it helping us be happier or is it contributing to our distress? Get reliable facts and use fact-based versus emotional reasoning. Go to the horse's mouth, CDC or WHO, the World Health Organization, go to their websites, not a website that profits from you being freaked out, but a website that provides you straight up facts. Get those reliable facts and use those facts to challenge your thoughts and make sure that your beliefs about the situation are accurate. Remember, emotional reasoning is when you say, I feel scared, so I'm, there must be something terrifying out there. I just need to figure out what it is. Fact-based reasoning says, I feel scared. Let me see if there's a reason to be. Stop trying to control things that are out of your control. Some of the stuff going on right now is completely out of our control. You know, as an individual, I can't control who comes in and out of the borders. I can't control how people are individually handling the situation and, you know, whether they're washing their hands and those things. Those things are out of my control and it would drain my energy to try to nag and nitpick and throw fits and do all that kind of stuff to try to control other people and other situations. I can't control the public health contagion right now. That's not within my control. It's not even within the CDC's control. We're still trying to figure out what it is. So what can I control? I can control me. I can control my reactions to the situation. I can control what behaviors I choose to do and choose things that help me be happier and healthier. I can control what I do in order to protect myself in terms of washing my hands, not touching my face, and maybe avoiding, you know, super crowded areas if I think that that's necessary at some point. Those things are in my control. Figuring out what aspects are within your control and what you can do is a huge step towards allaying your anxiety. And figure out a way to make this an opportunity if you can. All right, so this is all going on. How can you make this an opportunity? I know, you know, around here and probably in a lot of places, some very um, opportunity-minded people went to the stores and cleared off the shelves of all the medicine and all the electrolyte um, drinks that are out there because those are things you need when you get the flu or other contagions and my senses and the masks and the gloves and things that people will really be in high demand they stockpiled them and they are probably going to try to sell them on ebay or somewhere else should this become a major crisis 
Am I advocating for you to do that? No. However, those people are, you know, making lemonade out of lemons, so to speak. How can you make this an opportunity for you? Maybe you can use it as an opportunity to advocate with your organization to allow for telecommuting and remote work opportunities. Maybe you can use it as a time if your children's school gets closed, for example, use it as a time to spend quality time with your kids. I know here in Middle Tennessee, every year we've lived here, the schools have been closed for at least a week because of the flu. And parents can get frustrated about it or freaked out about it, or they can look at it as an opportunity to spend more time with their kids. You know, it's all in your perception. You can choose to live in the and is the next tip that I give you. And that comes from acceptance and commitment therapy in which um, Hayes says this virus can exist or this problem can exist and I can still have a rich and meaningful life and I can still be happy and I can go to work. You know, this condition, whatever it is, can exist out here and other positive things can happen instead of thinking that whatever the situation is puts everything to a halt you know we want to focus on what we can do and live in the end i can be anxious about being in public places and still go out and do my grocery shopping i may not love being in crowded places right now but i can do it because you know I am, that's a decision I am making in order to maintain as much routine as possible in my life and to help keep some sense of stability in what's going on. Be aware of all or nothing thinking or catastrophizing. When public health crises occur, this is where a lot of people go. They may think there is nothing I can do to protect myself, so I need to stay at home. I need to stay away from all people all the time. And that is very dichotomous thinking. There are a lot of things we can do to protect ourselves. Can we guarantee we won't get the virus or the condition? No. But if we take adequate precautions, we can greatly reduce the probability that we're going to get them. Other people may think, if I get the virus, I'm going to die. Well, that's catastrophizing. So again, we want to look at the probability. What is the likelihood a, that you'll get it, and B, that if you get it, you're going to be one of those small portions of a percent of people that actually die from it. Pretty small, most likely, unless you have a lot of underlying health conditions, in which case you're probably going to be taking much more significant steps to protect yourself. No public places are safe is another thought. And you know, yes, it's true. Wherever you go, there are going to be public places. There are going to be people who've been there before you who may not have washed their hands or who may have sneezed all over the door handle or something. That is true. But there are steps you can take to protect yourself in public places so the public places are safe to you. For example, wash your hands when you're, if you touch a door handle, disinfect your hands afterwards. Don't touch your nose and mouth. Public places themselves are not necessarily unsafe. It's what we do in those public places that makes them safe or unsafe. Make an effort to find the positives in your life is another tip or tool that you can use. When we are in, under distress, when we are anxious or angry, we tend to notice all the negatives. We tend to notice all the threats and negate 
or not pay attention to the positives. It's important to force ourselves to turn our attention to the positives in our life to balance out that negativity. Recognize, for example, okay, currently I don't have whatever this contagion is. There are steps I can take to protect myself. Thanks to online shopping, I'll be able to get most of my basic needs met, probably. I can have a lot of groceries and stuff delivered straight to my house and have the the UPS man just drop them right off. Thanks to the internet, I will be able to stay in touch with loved ones and possibly work from home. Okay, that's a positive. This is encouraging me to clean more. You know, for me, that's a positive. (laughs) And there will likely be disaster assistance to help with the bills in the event of community shutdown. Focusing again on historically what our government has done to support its citizens in situations where there's been a public health crisis or a natural disaster. Historically, the government has been there to support us and help us emerge from it stronger because, you know, that's what our economy is based on. We need to make sure that people are able to, you know, meet their basic needs and able to do what they need to do. Another tool is to see challenges as opportunities for growth. Yeah, that's one of those things where it's like, what kind of rose-colored glasses are you wearing? But it's true. If we can look at these like being in quarantine or community shutdown, you know, if the worst case scenario happens, what would it allow me to do that I might not have an opportunity to do right now? Spend more time with my family? You know, because I wouldn't be going to work for 40 plus hours a week. I could get caught up on my yard work, and and that's a good thing. And I can reduce my carbon footprint because I surely won't be driving as much if we're on quarantine. Now, there are downsides, but challenging myself to look at the opportunities that are going to present or that would present to me in the event of a local quarantine is important. So if it should happen... I can embrace it and I can go, okay, cool, you know, on to plan B, except that it is what it is and is currently, and currently there is a lot of unknowns or there are a lot of unknowns. With most public health crises, this is going to be the case. Uh, Anxiety and anger are normal reactions to abnormal situations. You can choose to feed your distress, feed that anxiety monster, or use your energy to do things to help you feel more empowered. What can you do to feel like you've got more control over your personal situation? You can't control what's going on out there, but what can you do to feel more empowered to protect yourself and your family in this situation? And unhook from your thoughts. And this is another acceptance and commitment therapy technique. Instead of saying, this is a catastrophe or this is going to be catastrophic, that is that sounds very deterministic. It is. Insert instead the phrase ahead of it, I'm having the thought that. I'm having the thought that this situation is going to be catastrophic, or I'm thinking that this, catastro- that this situation might be catastrophic. When you put that phrase ahead of it, it eases the finality of that statement. I've had a lot of thoughts that were wrong. And so instead of saying, this is what it is, I'm saying, I'm having the thought that this could be a bad thing. That gives me the opportunity to use my tools to find evidence for or against that thought. Let's talk about some simple life hacks here just to kind of wrap things up. Get your information from a reliable source like the World Health Organization or the CDC. Get your daily dose of news and then turn it off. 
if they insist on fear-mongering, if they are providing stories that help you feel happy and empowered, and oh, by all means, keep watching that. But if they are continuing to repeat the same doom and gloom and, you know, fear-mongering headlines, turn it off. You know, if you insist on getting your news every day, 30 minutes is generally how long it takes to go through the news once. You don't need to hear it five, six, seven times. Remember that the more anxious people are, the more we seek answers. This equates in terms of mainstream media to increased ratings. So they benefit from our panic. They benefit from those fear-mongering headlines. Don't feed into that. Don't reward that. Encourage your local stations and your local newspapers to run stories on things like ways to cope and protect yourself instead of how bad it is and the remote possibility that it could turn into some global health crisis. You know, let's look at what's going on in our neighborhood right now. What can we do to protect ourselves? What can we do to cope? And encourage them to run stories on other things. Guess what? There is more going on in the world right now than a particular public health crisis. There is, you know, there's lots of stuff going on. And because people are so anxious and wanting to learn more about the public health crisis, the media plays it 24-7, 365, or at least as long as the crisis is going on. Unfortunately, what they're playing over and over again is not new information. It's just the same stuff said 20 different ways. So people still emerge out of it. They hear it all day long. They keep listening, hoping for a new tidbit, and they don't get it. So it's very unfulfilling, and it keeps us stuck in that place of panic. Turn off the news. Get what you need and then turn it off. Avoid spending too much time on the internet with what I call fear-mongering clickbait. You can read through even an objective news story and then underneath it there will be sponsored ads and they or sponsored stories and they will have these catastrophic uh, headlines that are designed to make you want to click on them. Don't feed into that. Maintain your routine as much as possible. They find that people's stress and their um, anxiety reactions are reduced quite a bit if they are able to keep doing what they typically do within reason. You know, you may have to adjust a little bit, but keep your schedule as much as possible. Get sufficient quality sleep even if you don't have to go to work. If in the event there's a quarantine called, Okay, you may be stuck at home for a while, just like we are after a hurricane or a blizzard or something like that. In any of these cases, it is super important to get sufficient quality sleep at night like you normally do. Get up and do things during the day like you normally do to keep your stress hormones and circadian rhythms set to help make sure you're getting enough sleep so you don't artificially increase your cortisol levels. Do something positive each day. I don't care what it is. Do something that makes you happy each day. If it's going to the gym, if it's going on a walk, if it's playing with your dog, painting, whatever it is, do something for at least 20 minutes a day that makes you at least content, if not happy. Encourage yourself and your family to focus on the positives for at least 10 minutes a day. I encourage people, especially during stressful times, to set a meal, whether it's breakfast or dinner, a meal each day where you're having a meal together and everybody is talking about 
positive things, things that are going right that day, things that they're excited about, things that they're looking forward to. The negative stuff, you can talk about that after the meal is over. But encouraging yourself to intentionally focus your attention on those positives for 20 minutes a day can be really helpful. They've done studies that have found that adolescents who journal on the positive aspects of their day for 10 to 20 minutes per day, every day, tend to have a much more positive outlook and less symptoms of depression, anxiety. Practice belly breathing. This is so easy, and kids love to do it because they can hold their belly and you can be kind of animated with it. But adults were not as animated. Same thing, though. You want to inhale for four or six if you can and feel your belly expand. You can either put your hands there or you just can notice your belly expanding. Hold your breath for four seconds and then exhale for four seconds. When you slow your breathing, it triggers the rest and digest in your your body. It triggers that reaction, which is your body's clue to turn down to regulate that HPA axis. Belly breathing can be really helpful when you start feeling anxious and you notice it, recognize it, go, okay, you know, let me check this out. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take a couple deep breaths and then I'm going to figure out the next best step. Practice 54321 mindfulness. And kids can like to do this and adults tend to find it helpful. Five things that you see right now, you know, you start getting anxious, say, okay, all right, I need to get focused. Let me look around, notice five things I see, four things I hear, three things I smell, two things I feel, like, that are touching me, and one thing that I can taste. Now, you can swap up the senses as much as you want, but I find it's easiest to, um, to do it that way. What I see, hear, smell, feel, and taste. Make a list of five activities you can do to get your mind off the situation and put it on your refrigerator or put it on your mobile device. Balloon toss with your dog. That's what I do. My kids don't balloon toss with me anymore. Um, Painting, cooking, exercising, working, gardening, reading a book, whatever it is that you can do to turn your mind from those Anxious thoughts that you may not have any control over. You don't have any control over certain things in this situation right now. So I can either sit there and continue repeating those thoughts to myself, or I can use my precious time and energy to do something I enjoy, like read a book. Identify five sensations that can help you get your mind off the situation. And this comes directly from dialectical behavior therapy. Um, Sensations like holding ice cubes can distract your attention, splashing cold water on your face, Um, doing wall sits, you know, go against the wall, put your back against the wall, slide down until your thighs are parallel to the floor, and hold that for, you know, up to a minute. But you'll find after about 15 seconds, it gets pretty darn uncomfortable, and you're focusing on trying not to slide down the wall. Do some push-ups, do some sit-ups, turn on some loud music, whatever it is that you can use to direct your attention away from those thoughts to sensation. And be aware of others' impact on you and your impact on others. When, if you are around people that are stressed out and anxious or irritable and cranky, notice how that affects you. And sometimes it might be important to take a, take a break. You know, if your family is all fired up and anxious and irritable, you may need to go to your room and read a book for a few minutes. Take a little time out. Um, And 
when you start getting anxious recognize how you impact other people if you are irritable if you are anxious if you are stressed out how does that affect the behavior and the mood of your children of your partner of your roommates of your dogs i know when i get stressed out my dog loses his mind and i don't even have to be emoting at all he just i swear he smells it and as soon as i start getting stressed out he starts getting anxious and my cat jumps on my chest and starts making biscuits on my chest it's like he's trying to get my heart rate to slow down um and and that's when i'm just sitting on the couch it's not like i'm you know yelling or doing anything like that but animals are very very sensitive they can also be great little biofeedback monitors but i digress the point being be aware of how your environment impacts you and create an environment that builds you up and makes you happy and be aware of your impact on others and try to project an attitude that builds other people up and helps them feel safe and comfortable and confident finally what can mainstream media do well as clinicians if you're a clinician or as citizens if you are you know just a regular citizen you can contact your local news media your local mainstream media and go hey these are the things i want to read about encourage them to quickly communicate the risk or lack of risk from associations with products people and places so you know that you are can go there to get reliable information about what's going on and encourage them to raise awareness about whatever the public health crisis is without increasing fear by sharing accurate information about how the condition spreads and how we can protect ourselves not fear-mongering saying you know this is this is the way it is these are the facts this is what we know provide people tools to deal with not only the physical aspects of protecting themselves but also dealing with the emotional aspects of the situation to prevent mental illness and to enhance mental health in the community if we do this we are also enhancing physical health because we are ensuring that we are not causing stress and anxiety to reduce people's immune systems encourage them the mainstream media to do stories and speak out against negative behaviors including negative statements on social media about groups of people or exclusion of people who pose no risk from any activities be cautious about the images that they use and headlines that are used when they are communicating about the particular situation if they are using images and and they're talking about this public health crisis which may impact you know maybe 0.2% of the population and they are showing a picture of a child that is on a respirator that is unduly citing panic and it's not communicating the same message making sure that the images and the headlines they use are in line with communicating the facts how to stay safe and encouraging mental and physical health in their communities and finally the media can share the need for social support for people who've been exposed or who are worried about friends or relatives you know there are some people who are going to worry and they will need extra social support there are people who've been exposed or may have been exposed and while they're waiting for those tests to come back or waiting to figure out if they've got it they are going to um need additional social support and figuring out how to provide support for those people 
and asking those people what kind of support they need or want is going to be really important. So there are many unknowns in many public health situations. The flu is something we encounter every year, and it is widespread and catastrophic for tens of thousands of people in the U.S., but we don't panic every year. We need to remember this when any other public health crisis or public health situation occurs, we need to be realistic. We need to compare it instead of thinking, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever and yada yada. We need to look at in comparison to something we know like flu, how much worse or not worse is this situation. High levels of stress and anxiety will reduce immunity and make people more susceptible to all types of illnesses, not just whatever the prevailing public health issue is. In order to help people reduce their anxiety, they need to get accurate information, limit their exposure to negative media, practice mindful acceptance of their reaction, just saying, all right, I feel how I feel. It is what it is. What can I do to improve the next moment? What options do I have? Use belly breathing to help de-escalate the physical anxiety reactions. Identify proactive, positive ways to cope with the situation. And regularly evaluate your beliefs against the facts at that point in time. Our knowledge of public health issues changes over time as we start to understand what we're dealing with. So we do need to continually update ourselves with the facts in order to help ourselves feel empowered to protect ourselves and continue to live a rich and meaningful life. Thank you. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. That's allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.